So here in the Southwest region, we have been doing a series called The Jesus Habits. Now, there are no greater habits to have than those that Jesus lived out, right? We make something a habit because it becomes a norm in our life. Not the rare and not the exception, but the norm. The habits that we've been talking about have been praying and fasting, you know, from seclusion to facing temptations. And these were normal habits. They weren't rare habits of Jesus. They were normal habits. So today, what we're going to focus on is the Jesus habit of confrontation. Oh, I got some oohs there. So you must be either looking forward to it. I don't know. Okay, and then the Jesus habit of confrontation is dealing with a person whom there is a problem or an issue, whether it's towards himself, others, or you, but doing it in a spirit of grace and truth with the heart of love behind it. When we confront someone, it's because we're concerned for them, not because we want to be right. Okay? So let me share a quote with you. Truth carries with it confrontation. Truth demands confrontation. Loving confrontation, but confrontation nevertheless. Now, if our reflex action is accommodation, regardless of the centrality of the truth involved, there is something wrong. Right? In other words, brothers and sisters, do we water down the truth to accommodate others' feelings? Do we shy away, brothers and sisters, from speaking the truth in love? You know, my hope today is I can help change your perspective. That's my hope. Confrontation has such a bad rap, right? It's usually seen as something negative. But you know what? I want to challenge you. I actually, I want to confront you <laughs> to change the way you view and think about confrontation. You know, I really see confrontation as something that's neutral. It's kind of like money. It can be used for good or bad, depending on how you want to convey it. You know, I believe confrontation is necessary if we're to hold out the truth and the standard of Jesus Christ. It is necessary. Now, when it's done right, when it's done the Jesus way, I believe it's a platform for change in the individuals we share it with because it's done with respect. Change needs a catalyst. And I believe confronting others is one of the ways to start that change. One of the greatest things that's helped me change in my own walk with God, because sometimes we get in these ruts, don't we? And we tend to do the same thing over and over again. Right? That's insanity. You know, so we need others that can look and see our blind spots, that can love us enough to tell us the truth. Now, I'll be honest with you. The reason I chose this habit is not because I like confrontation. Honestly, I least like it. Of all the habits about Jesus, this is the one I, leak, I least like the most. But that tells me that's the one I need to grow in the most. Right? My sinful nature is to people please. But that is not a habit of Jesus. Now, the Bible has a specific word for people pleasing. Do you guys want to know what it is? It's in Revelations, and the word the Bible uses for people-pleasing 
is coward. It's a coward. And you know what? Jesus was not a coward, nor should we be one. You know, I appreciate Jamal Myhan in the campus ministry. I'll lift him up for a second here. Now, the reason I appreciate Jamal is because I asked him recently, what is one thing in my character he thought I should grow in the most? And I appreciate Jamal's response because it was truthful. He said, you need to grow in saying the truth and being firm. Because I can shy away from it because, again, I'm looking at someone's feelings rather than their salvation. You know, because I tend to lean, you know, he says, Josh, you tend to lean a little more grace-heavy than having an actual balance between grace and truth. Right? For those that have been rebuked by me, I'm sure you would probably want me to lean a little more towards grace. <laughs> you know, but I, uh, I appreciate the honesty. And, um, but that's because, you know, I believe Jamal loves me to tell me the truth. You know, let's be honest, confrontation is difficult and it's uncomfortable. But as we look at some examples today, I hope for you to see that this was part of Jesus' habit. Jesus was a confronter. Jesus didn't shy away. He did it head on. He didn't put it off. And he didn't run away from those uncomfortable conversations, those uncomfortable situations. So I want to give you something to help you. When you think about confrontation, because again, I don't like confrontation, but I want you to picture this when you're thinking of confrontation. <laughs> now look at this face. This face says, I'm concerned. <laughs> this face says, you know what? I love you and I'm concerned. Right? If you can have this picture in your mind... When there's a part of you that wants to shy away from confrontation, then you'll be able to do it because you know it comes from a place of love. All right? Jesus showed us many examples, brothers and sisters, on how to confront others. Now, we're going to look at some examples today, and then at the end, I'm going to share some practicals to help you make it a habit of your life. Okay, you guys still with me? All right, if I share something, you know, that you like, then give me an amen. All right, if I... If I step on some toes, you can say, watch it now. <laughs> right? You know, if, I, if I'm saying something that hits you, you can say, come on, Josh. That helps me up here knowing that I'm connecting to my audience. So my example, number one, I want to show you is, number one, Jesus didn't wait to confront when the issue called for immediate attention. My example is going to come from Matthew 21, verse 12. Matthew 21, 12, it reads, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Now, you've got to imagine, it'd be like somebody coming in here and we're all having, going on with our meeting and Jesus just flips over tables. He is frustrated with what he sees going on. Jesus drove out those who were selling and exchanging money when they saw that they were using God's house for their own gain, their own personal gain. Jesus confronted when people were being disrespectful and dishonoring to God and to other people. Do we do the same? You know, some things shouldn't be put off. 
The longer you wait to say something, the worse it becomes. Right? Saying something in the moment is sometimes necessary. You know, Shakara shared about the injustice that was going on. Right? Injustice is like a weed. Not dealt with, it gets out of control. We have to speak up. So I have a question for you, brothers and sisters. If someone around you uses God's name in vain, do you let it slide? Or do you say something? That's uncomfortable, but will you stand up for what is right? You know, how is anyone going to know what is wrong until you say something? Right? When I was working at Central Market in HEB, I uh, had some coworkers that had some colorful language. And uh, not to say that I didn't have that in the past as well, I did. Uh, but they had some colorful language. And when they would get around me, they would stop cursing. And not only would they stop cursing, but they would tell others to stop cursing around me. The reason they would do that is they knew where I stood. They knew what I believed, and they respected it. And I believe that's the reason why they did it. Now imagine, this is for everyone here, teens, this is for you as well. Imagine your parents saw something bad in your character when you were young, and they never said anything, but they just let you keep doing it. Would you rather them not say anything, or would you want them to tell you? Right? If what I'm doing is going to hurt my future opportunities, if it's going to hurt other people, then I give you full permission to say something to me. Is the same for you? Are you willing to let others confront you on issues like that? Number two example, Jesus confronted those living in sin. Jesus confronted those living in sin. My example comes from John 8, verses 1 through 11. It reads, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. As they're standing before the group, he said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses command us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Now they were using this question as a trap in order to keep him, in order to the basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you without sin cast the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Now Jesus confronted this woman living in sin. 
He didn't just dismiss what she was doing. He told her to sin no more. Right? Do we have the courage to do the same thing? Even with our brothers and sisters to say, brothers and sisters, sin no more. Right? Do we love them enough to say that? But Jesus also confronted the self-righteous Pharisees for their sinful attitudes towards this woman. You know, there will be times when we must and we need to confront people living in sin. For those of us that are disciples, I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine you were not confronted for the sin in your life. And no one loved you enough to say something. Then that means you would probably not be here today. You would die in your sins. Heaven would not be your home. And hell would be your eternity. Right? The whole reason Jesus came was to seek and save the lost. That's the whole reason he came. To confront the sin in our life so that we could be set free. Thank you, Jesus, for sending somebody that would confront the sin in my life. Right? Now, I appreciate, I appreciate when others are willing to tell me the hard truth and tell it like it is. You know, I, if there is something in my character that doesn't reflect Christ, I want to know. If you told me, brothers and sisters, and I don't change, then please tell me again. Please tell me again. We are all called to be our brother's keepers. And remember, sharing is caring. If you see something and you say nothing, then my question is, do you really love that person? You know, I would rather someone be a little upset with me, a little angry, but repent and go to heaven than for me to say nothing because I don't want to upset them, because I don't want to ruin the friendship. Brothers and sisters, who is whispering that lie to you that that's a good idea? Because it's not God. You know, what ends up happening is we watch those that we called our friends, our best friends, our BFFs, right? That we don't want to rock the boat. You know, we watch them walk to hell when we could have said something. Because we care more about our, their friendship than we cared about their salvation. Let's do what we're called to do. To say you love someone and not say anything then I'll be so bold to step on some toes and say you're a liar. Let's do the right thing and let's reflect what Jesus did in the scriptures. My third and last example here, number three is Jesus confronted those who were putting things ahead of him. Mm, I'll say it again. Jesus confronted those that were putting things ahead of him. My example comes from Luke 10, 38 through 42. It reads, And Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. 
But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset about all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Brothers and sisters, I'll say it again. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, although the things that Martha was doing were good things, right, even noble things, because she was showing hospitality, right? But Jesus confronted her that what she was doing wasn't right, because she was putting things before God. Right, sometimes we have to confront each other on these matters. Right, for the campus students, maybe it's missing church to study for a final. You know, for, for the teens, you know, maybe it's putting a sport or bands or other extracurricular activities before God. Singles and marriage, I didn't leave you guys out. Yeah, for the singles and marrieds, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's work. Maybe it's a hobby. You know, the reality is what it is is an idol. And that's what Jesus is confronting Martha about. And we need to make sure that we're putting God first. But you know what? That's an uncomfortable conversation, right? Because what if I'm not putting God first? I don't want someone to call me out too. But if I, love each, if I love you enough, if you love each other enough, then we'll say it, right? Because it's a salvation issue. It really is. You know, you think about how much God has done, and you think about these situations. Jesus didn't just confront this individual. Sometimes, you know, it's family members that want you to compromise putting God first. Man, that's a really uncomfortable situation. Right, so let me tell you a story when I was in college. My older brother approached Matt and I one day, and he asked us one day if we were, if we were gay, if we were homosexual. And I asked him what would make him ask that question to us. And he said that it was his friends that approached him, and his friends approached him about it because they didn't see Matt and I just sleeping around with, with women. And just being sexually immoral. Because that's what the world says is what goes on in college. But not if Christ is in your life, it's not going on. Right? You know, I, I was a little hurt because my brother didn't say something. But, you know, I gave my brother what I told him was the reason that Matt and I don't do the things that we were known for in the past, because we had done those things in the past, was that now I respect women. And the reality is, you know, we got to make a stand. And you know what? Others may not like it. But you know what? They'll respect it. And most of all, God will lift you up for doing the right thing.
You know, brothers and sisters, the, the list goes on for different ways that Jesus confronted people. As you can see by a list that I have here, this was a habit of Jesus, right? You can see Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. You can see that Jesus confronted the self-righteous religious leaders who used religion and God for their own purpose in Matthew 23. Jesus confronted Peter, who was his closest friend. He'd just given the keys to him. He confronted him for allowing Satan to suggest through him that he should bypass the cross. Jesus even confronted the Father in the garden when he asked him, please take this cup. Yet not my will, but yours. Right? And the list goes on. You can see that it was a habit. It wasn't rare. This was Jesus' life. Confronting is loving. Confronting is loving. Now you think about it, brothers and sisters, even evangelism, even evangelism is a type of confrontation. Right? It's confronting the world to save it, just as Christ did in each one of our lives. Ask yourself, what keeps you from evangelizing? Is it the fear of confronting? So before I go into how to make this a habit, before I give you practicals, I want to go over some enemies of the habit of confrontation. Okay, here's some enemies. Number one, fear. Fear. I'm afraid of how the other person will respond. Right? I know that creeps up in my life. I just, I don't know how they're going to respond. And, but don't let fear stand in the way. There is no fear in love. Number two, procrastination. You know, not now. I'll wait and say something later. But the reality, brothers and sisters, later never comes. And it only builds. Let's not procrastinate. Number three is assumption. You know, maybe it'll just get better. Maybe it'll just get better. You know, it's, it's not going to get better. Would you say it to somebody that had an addiction to alcohol? Would you say it to somebody that had an addiction to drugs? It's just going to get better? No, we have to love them. There's an intervention. We need to get in their life. We need to say something. But these are enemies. And number four, abdication. It's a crazy word. Abdication. It means, you know what? Let someone else do it. Brothers and sisters, I know we have concerns at times with situations we see in the church. But are you waiting for myself or different leaders to say something that you see? If you see it, remember, you have the same spirit I have, the same spirit that Don has. If you see something, say something. Don't wait. Those are four enemies. Now remember, these are lies too. These are all lies from Satan, right? Because those don't come from God. Those all come from Satan when it comes to confronting. Now let's talk about how to make confronting a habit. All right, how to make confronting a habit. Number one, make sure your own heart is right with God before you confront someone else. Easy, practical, right? Matthew 7 talks about take the plank, brothers and sisters, out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brothers. Take the plank out. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Taking the plank out allows you to have clarity 
and the right motive. Number two, number two, pray for that person that needs to be confronted. Pray for that person, right? The power of prayer is amazing. You know, James says the the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If our prayers can move God's heart, how much more can it move each other's hearts? Let's pray for each other. Number three, set up time with the person to talk in private without interruption, but don't put it off. Set up time with that person. If you see something, this isn't a time to call them out and embarrass them. You know, you do it respectfully, but you set up time to get time with them privately. You know, Scripture says, don't let the sun go down, right? If you have an issue with a brother or sister, if you're angry, don't let it go down. Every day, brothers and sisters, that we allow to go by is an opportunity for Satan to wreak havoc in our friendships and our fellowship. Don't allow Satan to plant seeds in weeds of discord. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. Number four. Number four, practical. When the occasion calls for it, confront immediately. Right? Stand up and speak up for what is right. Stand up and speak up when things are wrong. Right? Immediate confrontation, as we saw with Jesus in the temple, it's necessary. The, the moment demands it in order to set it right in the minds of those around. Right? You think about the example that I gave you with the temple courts. How many of those Pharisees and Sadducees went through that temple courts every day and said nothing? And those are supposed to be the religious leaders. Let's say something. You know, the moment demands it. Whenever we stand up for something, we give others courage to do the same thing. When those disciples of Jesus saw what he did in the temple, I 100% believe it gave them courage to do what you see in the book of Acts because they remembered it, right? Number six, begin with a word of encouragement. I can't tell you how much this helps. Start with a word of encouragement. I just skipped a point. Sorry about that. Start with a word of encouragement. It helps tremendously. One of the things that I learned from Sarah is this thing called build, break, build. You build a person up, break them down a little bit, you build them right back up. Right? So you're giving more encouragement than you're giving correction, but you're still giving what needs to be said. Start with a word of encouragement. It'll go a long way. It pulls people's defenses down. Remember, humility breeds humility, and pride breeds pride. If you go after someone, man, they're not going to be open. You know, that's my number five point that I missed. Don't take out your anger on someone. Right? This isn't your opportunity to unleash Bruce Banner on someone (laughs) and become the Hulk. Like, You approach them respectfully, and it'll make a huge difference, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. And number seven, my last practical to help you here, is ask the person, if I could share something, would you want me to? That's a powerful question. 
Really powerful question. If I could share something with you that would help you, would you want me to? Now, sometimes when we approach people, brothers and sisters, you know, people are upset. They're angry in the moment, right? They may not want to hear what you have to say, but know that with that question comes curiosity. And people will think about it. I know if somebody said that to me, I would want to know, what is it that you see that I need to change? Or what am I doing that's possibly hurting other people? So a good question to ask. And, you know, Proverbs 16, 24 talks about that. He who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. So brothers and sisters, I want you to imagine if we all approach confrontation like Jesus from a place of love, in a place of concern, from a place of spirit and truth and grace, right? Imagine if we made this a habit. It wasn't the exception in our life, but it became the habit of our life. Imagine how it would transform your friendships. Imagine how it would change our body, our church as a whole. You know, Jesus' habit of confrontation changed the world. Our habit could also do the same. I want to leave you with this last story. And this is, uh, comes from Coach Shula, Don Shula. For those that may not know who Don Shula is, he was a coach of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he's one of the most winningest coaches in the NFL. He was a six-time coach of the year. He's also the only coach in history to have a perfect season in the NFL. So Don Shula uh, of the Miami, Miami Dolphins was talking to a reporter about a player's mistake in practice. He said, we never let an error go unchallenged. Uncorrected errors multiply. Then the reporter said, isn't there benefit in overlooking one small flaw? Shula said, what is a small flaw? I think about that all day long. What is a small flaw? I see that with my children. I let a lot of things slide by because I was too tired. I didn't want another confrontation. But uncorrected errors do multiply. Now you've got to face them someday. You might as well face them on the spot. If I could do it all over again with my children... I'd face the errors on the spot. It's easier on them and it's easier on you. And that works in relationships with anyone. If there's something under the surface, something you sense, you might as well just bring it right out. Face it right then. Brothers and sisters, I hope this message has helped change your perspective on confrontation. I hope it helps you to see that confrontation shouldn't be seen as negative, but as something is loving your brother and sister. Um.